Hello, Science of Work listeners. In season one of the Science of Work, I had the pleasure of interviewing world experts in the most burning workplace science questions. One topic visited, albeit unintentionally, over the season is the concept of time. How should we use it? How can we get more of it? And how to protect it? It even inspired my sign-up message, consciously design your day or somebody else will. There's always somebody, a company, a marketing strategy vying for your time and attention. In this bonus episode, I sit down and speak to Dr. Ashley Willens from the Harvard School of Business, who you may recall from episode on motivation. She recently wrote a book called Time Smart, How to Reclaim Your Time and Live a Happier Life. So how do we do exactly that? How do we reclaim our time and how does it affect our happiness? This podcast is brought to you by the Quantex School of Business and Technology. Quantex highly selective online MBA and executive MBA are designed with mobile first, interactive micro lessons, individualized feedback every eight seconds. Don't settle for old school slide and lectures. Experience the future of education and accelerate your career. Go to quantic.edu slash the science of work for more. In Dr. Willen's new book, Time Smart, she addresses the very clear competitive notion of time versus money. I absolutely love that she has toolkits throughout the book that help you calculate your values, put numbers to it, quantify it, to help you direct your time in something that makes sense for you. She details the pressures that most of us feel about time in our current time poverty epidemic. Here's a conversation I had with Dr. Willens. Um, okay, so my first question is, how did you get into researching time? Like, what was the but, inspiration? By being really bad at it. You yeah. study <laughs> what you're bad at because it becomes your obsession in life. It's really two things. Uh, the first I realized and decided to write a book about it. And then the second was like reflections after doing this research for a while. So, well, I've always been interested in this topic from like a purely academic perspective, like how we spend our time and money are things that we should give way more attention to in the academic literature. But academics tend to study things that are a little bit esoteric. And I was like, well, how do people spend their time and how do they spend their discretionary income? And how, how do those things matter for happiness? Like, I'm assuming they do. Why don't we know a lot? Why can't we be more prescriptive? So I've always been just extremely fascinated about these topics from a nerdy, purely academic perspective. But these topics were really brought to life for me when I had just taken a job at HBS and moved across the continent to do that from Vancouver to Boston. And in that process, lost a partner of 10, 12 years. He didn't want to move. And at first I was mad at him. And then I realized actually it was me. I had spent the last 10 to 12 years prioritizing work over leisure, work over personal relationships over and over and over again. So when I needed something from this person that involved a major life move, he's like, there's nothing there for me to move to. And I was like, well, I'm there. And he's (laughs) like, but you're never really there. And that hit home for me. I was like, wow, like I study time, I study happiness. And I thought I was good at it. I thought I was managing, but this major life event indicated to me that clearly I wasn't prioritizing time and happiness in the context of my own life and my own personal relationships, my own physical health, my own ability to be a good family member, to be a good partner were suffering as a result. And so that's really where I became interested in 
taking some of my academic learning and putting it into practice in the context of everyday life. And then another reflection I had is actually, this was also a source of great tension in my household growing up. My mom, like many moms, was trying to be super mom all the time and just struggled with a lot of guilt that made the family really unhappy around having the perfect house and commuting long distances to work. And that created a lot of tension and conflict in our house. And there was a lot of guilt around outsourcing, a lot of guilt around asking for help when we need it, either from each other. And so as I've gotten further on in this research, I think a lot of my interests have become, how can we feel happy and free putting time first? How can we alleviate this guilt of being the perfect parent, the perfect mom, the perfect work partner? We were just talking before we jumped on this call about how having high expectations can be a source of misery. And I think there's a lesson in some of this research for all of us that we need to let ourselves and others off the hook more often. I love just simply that concept. Um, But I would say for me, it's more myself than others. I think those expectations and the how we feel this crushing pending doom of time and how we can shift that by simply shifting mindset and shifting perception and understanding around what time is, what money is, what happiness is. And one thing that really struck me from your book that I did not expect going into this book is I research health. And one of my realizations as a grad student is like I nailed it home and it was all about physical activity and nutrition, sleep, stress management, but how profoundly off that was from the biggest impact on our health is actually our social lives, our social mm-hmm. networks, our pro-social behaviors, as you talk about them. And I never considered it from a time money perspective. So I thought mm-hmm. that that was so, so interesting and that your personal story has to do with that as well in regards to, we tend to think how we invest. So for example, investing in career versus we don't always think of investing in our social lives. This goes back to something that's really fundamental and why it is actually hard to prioritize time and social relationships is they're very abstract, squishy concepts. So it's really easy to track how many times we went to the gym. It's really easy to track weight and calories and Fitbit steps. And it's very hard to track whether I've spent enough time, enough quality time with my partner today. Did Um, we just invent a million dollar app? Like, is that just what (laughs) happens? is to be able to touch your Apple watch and let them know you had a meaningful conversation. <laughs> I think so. And I, I, because we're so bad at it and it's not our fault. Our brain gravitates towards trackable outcomes because they're concrete and tangible. So that's why we'll spend a lot more time trying to balance our budgets than we ever will looking at our calendars and asking ourselves whether we really need to be in every meeting today or whether we should just take the afternoon off and spend time with our kids instead. It does take a little bit more effort, but I do agree with you that one of the reasons over and over and over again that people who buy time, people who outsource, people who prioritize time in the context of their everyday lives are happier is because This allows them to prioritize their social relationships. When we're feeling overwhelmed, we are barely managing ourselves, let alone having the ability or energy to reach out to a friend or to volunteer. Even if we have objectively the amount of time available, if we feel overwhelmed, we're going to be much less likely to reach out. And so we do see over and over again in our data that people who are time focused are the ones who feel like they can have those five minute conversations in the virtual hallway with a colleague or a friend or who do take the afternoon off when they feel like they should or whenever 
their personal life is more important than whatever professional thing they're supposed to be doing that day. And I do really think that all of us should really challenge ourselves to put 30 minutes uninterrupted, no technology on our calendars every day to connect in a meaningful way with someone in our community, with a stranger, with a neighbor, with a close friend. And you're totally right that the benefits are underestimated on a regular basis of these short, casual social interactions. And again, this is partly naive and partly because I'm an academic or a recovering one um, siloed in my work. But like, I've always thought of this as starting to speak a lot more about it, starting to think about it from a personal perspective. I really thought about it from a health perspective to be like, oh, taking that wine with a girlfriend of mine is actually contributing to my health in a lot of different ways. I never really put as much emphasis on the happiness part of it. Of course it does. It's just, I wasn't as conscious about it or aware of it. And then it starts to allow you to, and we joked around before about this conversation, depending on our calendars to tell us what to do. We, we literally have to put it in there and say, you know, I'm going to invest in friendship right now, relationship, partner, kids, whatever it is. And then being able to draw your attention and be there. So I think one of the faults a lot of us do is being, for example, I was with my daughter this morning, caught myself on the phone. And then I was like, no, like this is an adorable person that won't want to be with me soon. So I should embrace <laughs> as much time as possible. But you have to be able to draw your attention to the thing in which you're trying to invest in as well. Exactly. And so it's about treating our social lives, our personal relationships as important as work. And as you were talking, I was thinking about an exercise that some researchers ask people to do that I really encourage all of us to do is look at your calendar from the last week and ask yourself, was the way that I spent my time last week, how ideally I want to live my life? If you start putting everything in your calendar, social blocks, exercise, probably we're giving too much attention and focus to work or productivity and not enough focus to these other really critically important areas of our life. I know that's true for myself and it's gotten even harder during the COVID work from home period of time when we don't have any breaks, boundaries and transitions between work and home. And use that as an exercise to start motivating yourself to be present in the moment and to capitalize on opportunities throughout the day to spend a few more minutes engaged in some non-work activity. I think it's so critical what you're saying about being present in the moment. And going back to an earlier point you made, reframing can go a really long way in helping us feel more in control of our time so we can put 30 minutes into our calendar, even in the middle of a busy work day to like walk around the block instead of being a slave to our Outlook, which just pings. One of us just did that um, instead of just answering emails with that time to really feel like we can take it upon ourselves to spend that time socializing instead. So one scientifically based strategy that my colleagues came up with that I totally love is this idea of thinking about our weekend like a vacation. So what they found is just going into the upcoming weekend telling ourselves we're going to treat it like a vacation helped us be more present in the moment helps people feel happier, less stressed, feel less of a goal conflict between thinking they should really be working on something. And it doesn't change the way you spend your time. So it's not like thinking about your upcoming weekend, like a vacation is just making you not do chores as often, but maybe we should all just do chores less often, but it doesn't change objective time use. It just literally changes how we feel about that free time. So I think we need to be more compassionate 
stop feeling so guilty about taking time off, start trying to be present in the moment. My research suggests that quality time with loved ones isn't about what you're doing. It's literally about how you are in that moment. If you're feeling positive emotions, if you're feeling connected to those you care about and you feel present in the moment, then you're going to get the most satisfaction from that free time, regardless of what you're doing. So I think it really is about disconnecting, turning off technology and turning ourselves into the present moment, just really relinquishing ourselves into the present moment. That's so critical for happiness and can really get missed because we have so many technological distractions. A really fascinating part of this podcast was I was able to interview world experts about work-life balance. And I'll admit before the, the episode, I was like, it's a myth. I never finish a day where I'm like, that was perfectly balanced. I aced it. So I felt like it was setting us up to fail in a lot of ways. And the way they reflected on it is very similar to the approach that you talked about reflecting on your past week. Is this where I want to spend time? Is this like really kind of aligning in the way they put it is your time, energy, and effort. Cause it's not just about time. It's about what quality time it is or is that reflective of your priorities? So if you're able to like classify your priorities, then look at your time, energy, effort. Do they align? Because that's what work-life balance is. And I think something that I'm reading between the lines a little bit, so please correct me if I'm wrong. If you love what you do, to not punish work and be like, work bad. You know, if you get fulfillment from it, if you're passionate about it, if you're excited about it, can you truly embrace that and be present there, but also know that you really like your kids or they still really like you and that that's important in how we we section off because if there is that discrepancy that's where it's going to feel awful exactly so I love this idea and I was just chatting with a CEO we taught a case about him in class Simon Henko and he's trying to be the happiest CEO the happiest person in the world and he's wonderful and he says work is life so when you're there you need to enjoy it life isn't what happens outside of work Work is your life. It's part of it. So exactly as what you're saying, if you're going to be working, enjoy that. If you're going to be spending time with your daughter, enjoy that. Don't be thinking about all the other things you could or should be doing. That is the root cause of time poverty isn't how much time you actually spend working or on housework. It's how much you worry about those activities getting in the way of other things. So the more that we can be present in the moment to reduce this self-inflicted goal conflict between all these activities in our life, the better able we will be to live happier lives because we will feel less pulled by the different areas of our life. We can't do everything simultaneously. That's why multitasking is unpleasant and misery producing because it reminds us of all these different elements of our life and makes us feel like we can't do any of them very well at all if we're trying to do all of them all at once. And so by being in the activity that we're doing, when we're doing it and leave our worries aside, I think that would go a long way. And in helping all of us reclaim our time and and live a happier life. Well, a lot of the majority of a lot of the majority, that was great sentence. (laughs) The majority of my uh, research was on breaks and effectiveness of breaks. And because I was so bad at them. (laughs) So um, of course I studied them and (laughs) so much of it's around how quickly can you integrate fully into that activity? So it's not about, how much time you take on breaks. It's about what you're doing on that break and how quickly you can be 100% into what you're doing. And so as I started to have qualitative studies around this, to your point, guilt gets in the way of us being able to take respite, which we absolutely need to perform. And then it becomes, you're doing two things poorly. You're not totally taking your break, you're not working, and it's just ineffective. So I think the center of the universe 
as it is, is that idea of how do we spend our attention? How do we manage this attention? And are we having that self-awareness of what is important to us, right? And I think your personal experience talking about a relationship, because like what we tend to do with relationships or social interactions is they have no end point that we know of, like there's no due date, right? So there's no like, oh, I have to do this now because this is going to be gone at some point, but it's actually true. We all do. So just being able to think of that differently. And the the only reason I bring this up, I work a lot with cancer patients. So they get this self-awareness of life or mortality that tends to come with that. And they have a view that's really incredible about time and money and happiness because they've been forced into that. But my goodness, wouldn't it be great if we got it well before? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what you were saying reminds me, we try to fit our everything else into the in-between of our work. And we have some studies on people who've experienced near-death experiences, either due to cancer or for accidents. And for the folks that we've been studying in more quantitative and some qualitative surveys, we see the exact same thing. Instead of kind of fitting the rest of our lives in between what we think is supposed to be important, they prioritize time. They prioritize social relationships. They're prioritizing time affluence because they do have this sense that at any moment, that was our last day together with someone I really cared about. Like that was all I had. Like that would be all I ever had of that experience, that person of life. And I don't think it's bad to take on this, a bit of a scarcity mindset. I really advocate in the book to put somewhere in your office, a reminder of your big why, of your purpose, of something that you truly care about that pulls you back into your own presence and your own self and what you're really trying to do in the world. And I talk about a personal example here too. So I have a tattoo on my wrist here with my cousin's initials, Mark and Paul. They both had Duchenne's muscular dystrophy and died before the age of 30. And of course, all the stuff that was going on in my relationship, I was 30 and I had just taken on this new job and felt like, how did I get so far away from my true values in life? And so by putting a physical reminder in your office of your family, of your kids, of someone that's passed that you really care about, this can really help you and helps me at least make decisions of, yeah, whatever this work thing is, it's really not that important. I'm going to go spend time with my partner instead, Yeah, um, because that is actually what (laughs) I will be thinking about on my deathbed, not did I edit a case enough. Yes. Like, shoot, I should have spent those four more hours working is never going to be the thought at the end of the day. I think that's so important. We have come to time. I feel like I could talk to you forever. So I might bug you again. But thank you so, so much. I really appreciate this. Thank you. It was so nice chatting. After reading the book Time Smart, available on Amazon and where your favorite books are sold, and the discussion we had, I admit it fundamentally changed my perspective on time. I even bought a very clear thing into my office so that it reminds me of my why. Why do I spend so much time doing what I do? So perhaps it isn't time itself. It's our perception of time, our ability to manage our attention, linking our values, and to be present in the time that we do have. Take an inventory of your time. How do you spend it? How do you wish you spent it? And are there changes that can be made? I want to thank you for listening and supporting this podcast. We had a wonderful season one, and I cannot wait for season two. If you have any workplace science questions for us, please email us at connect at consciousworks.com or head to Facebook and search the Science of Work podcast to join our community. 
A special thanks to Dr. Ashley Willens and everybody who made this podcast possible. For full transcripts, sources, and for a lot of other amazing information, check out ConsciousWorks.com. Remember, consciously design your day or somebody else will.